Hello and welcome to episode six of Biz Talk with Bill Roy. Our goal is to provide you with insight into the people, places, and organizations that make up Wichita's important business community. We appreciate you listening. First, a note about the weekly edition of the Wichita Business Journal, which is available today. Where does the money live? That's our big story this week. We've done a lot of research and figured out where the wealthiest among us live. It's broken out by zip codes. A couple of years ago, it was the Kichai area. Has it changed? Well, the data we have includes the areas of Wichita with the most adults with advanced degrees, workers earning $100,000 or more, and median household income. You can see all the numbers and the maps in today's weekly edition. Also check out our special report on education and our top 25 list assisted living facilities. All that and so much more in this week's Wichita Business Journal. We appreciate the support we've received for the podcast. Thank you again for listening. And thanks to another source of support, the folks at Equity Bank. Welcome to the Wichita Business Journal Biz Talk Podcast. Talking business is what the commercial banking team here at Equity Bank does best. Visit equitybank.com slash napkin dash stories. This week, episode six, I spent some time with Christina Long. She's a Wichita native and former journalist who's become an entrepreneur. She owns a graphic design and communications business called CML Collective. She's also part of the Entrepreneurial Task Force and is passionate about helping others make their dreams of business ownership come true. Here on the podcast today, Christina Long. Christina, thank you for being here. Thank really you so appreciate much for it. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Let's go back to the beginning. How did you grow up? Where did you grow up? Okay. Tell us about your family, that type of thing. Absolutely. Well, I am a Wichita, Kansas native, born and raised. Um, I grew up around the 21st and Grove area in central northeast Wichita. Um, I have still around my mother, my father. I am the oldest of three girls. My youngest sister has relocated to Dallas, um, and it's been about two years. Uh, Jana and I are still here. And what did your what did your folks do? So my dad was a minister. He continues to minister over at St. Mark United Methodist Church, as well as he worked with the the post office. He's a U.S. postal worker. My mother is an accountant, and she used to be the uh, director of finances over at Open Door. Tell us about where you went to high school yeah, and I'm what a, activities uh, you were in. Absolutely. I'm a proud blue ace. <laughs> proud blue ace. East High graduated in 1999. Um, I was very fortunate in that I knew early on what I wanted to do when I grew up, and so all of my activities kind of followed along that path. So I worked on the newspaper staff at East High was the editor of The Messenger under Vicki Churchman, and she was an amazing teacher. She was a very instrumental person in getting me um, firmly on the path to great journalism. How did you get interested in journalism? So that's funny. Um, two reporters, when I was at Brooks Middle School, two reporters, Mark McCormick and Joe Rodriguez, came and did a discussion in front of our class, a presentation. And I knew that I wanted to be a writer, but I didn't know what kind of writer I wanted to be. And when they talked about newspaper reporting, I was like, that is it. That is exactly <laughs> what I wanted to do. Those two guys made it sound good. Yeah, huh? they made it sound good. So while the other girls in the class were swooning over their looks, <laughs> um, I actually listened to them, and they invited 
invited, uh, they invited interested students to come and take a tour of the Eagle, and I did. And as soon as I walked in that building, I was in love, and I knew it was where I was supposed to be. So you graduate from East High. What then? I actually went to the University of Kansas my first two years of college. Um, interestingly enough, Mark was a mentor. Again, Mark McCormick, right. then with the Eagle, he was a mentor to me through high school. So when I got to KU, he actually made an introduction of me to a person who opened up the opportunity for me to write for the Lawrence Journal World as oh, opposed great. to writing for the University Daily Kansas. So I was a sports reporter my first two years while I was at KU. We had a lot of deaths in our family, just older folks going on home. And so I decided to come back home. Um, and, and I finished up at Wichita State University. So you graduate from Wichita State, and, and there, where is it on to? What's, what's your path? Yeah, so when I came back to town from KU, um, did a couple of odd jobs, and um, I ended up working at Walmart. I said, whoever's going to call me back first, I'll go ahead and take it. <laughs> and it was a Walmart on 29th and Rock. And I said, you know what? Okay, let's do it. Ironically enough, again, I was a college student. Right. A week later, Foot Locker called. Well, I was at that Walmart for about six months, and I'm really glad I was there because I was being educated in college, and people just treated people like garbage behind those. Um, those cashier stands. So no it was kidding. a good it was a good lesson in how to treat humanity, which reinforced lessons I had grown up with. But anyway, um, one of the reporters came through my line. They were like, what are you doing back in town? And I let them know. And a week later, the Eagle called me and was like, come on back. And so I was able to do a lot of different jobs in the newsroom, um, everything from doing calendars all the way up to transcribing opinion line where I got to know the real Wichita. <laughs> yeah. um, and they told me that when I graduated from college, I had a job as a reporter. Um, they asked me what I wanted to report on, and I took a gamble. I could have said general assignment, but I said something that was really important to me, and that was covering Wichita's ethnic and minority communities. And they even let me name my beat, and so I was the cultural affairs reporter for the Eagle. What was your favorite story that came out of your time there doing that beat? Yeah, there were so many beautiful moments and also so many challenging moments when you're covering race and ethnicity, particularly in Wichita. But my favorite story was the day that I got to be on a farm when the Entz family brought home a girl that they adopted from Haiti. Her name was Vivian. And Vivian is Haitian, and the Entz family was white. And to see how she took to her brothers and sisters um, to eat a meal and, and capture those moments, those first moments of Vivian being here after the years that it took for them to bring her through the adoption process to Wichita, that was a very powerful story and moment. And I think about everything that I covered. I covered so much, including the inauguration of um, President Obama. Mm. And um, But it was that that farm, that, that welcome home for Vivian, that was my absolute favorite story. What in particular really stuck with you from that story? It was the ability to write in my voice. It was the ability to talk about chocolate skin and how they would protect her if the world didn't understand her. And just the, the, racial, the racial tones and being able to share what that experience was, but also the ability to talk about family. And I got to use so many descriptive words because, again, the moment was so genuine and was so real. I will never forget that story and that experience. I have tried to find the Ents family. I was just going to ask you about that. I have uh, Facebook, man. <laughs> I can be some of the best Facebook stalkers. <laughs> um, but I cannot find them, but I've often wondered how Vivian's doing and how the Ents family's doing. Well, if they're listening, hopefully they, they make some contact with yeah, us. Yeah, that would be great. Then you're, you're with the Wichita Eagle for a while, mm -hmm. and tell us 
what was next for you? So I spent six years at the Eagle, again, for my relationship with middle school. So they watched me grow up. But um, it got harder and more challenging to be in the newsroom because the industry changed. Right. People's reading, as you know, wasn't the same. So every week it seemed like there were layoffs. And the day that they announced furloughs, I remember walking back to my desk and thinking, I've got to do something different for me and my family. Um, at the time, I also um, was a mother to two children of my own. And so I needed to make sure we were good. And so I uh, ended up looking and I found some positions with Wichita Public Schools and one in particular stood out to me and that was in family and community engagement. Uh, the, the woman who started that whole department for 40 plus years, Jackie Legrand, she actually got on the phone with me, talked to me about the position and encouraged me to apply. So I did and I was successful in becoming a family and community engagement specialist with Wichita Public Schools. You met somebody in there, didn't you? I met that somebody before. <laughs> did you? <laughs> Wichita Public Schools, yes. Uh-huh. I met Jonathan Long, uh, my husband. Jonathan uh, was a reporter too at the Eagle. He was right. a sports reporter, and we met in in the newsroom. Yeah. Well, uh, after after you have worked at the Wichita Eagle and worked in the uh, in USD two five nine, at what point did you sort of get bit by the entrepreneurial bug? Sure. So I'll try to be succinct. This is my <laughs> this is my moment right uh-huh, now. Right? You bet. Um, I don't make New Year's resolutions. I make birthday resolutions. And on the eve of my 30th birthday, when I was 29, I thought, what did I want my 40th year of life to look like? Um, if I kept getting up and doing my best every day, would I have the life that I envisioned? And while things were great in my life, um, I couldn't see me doing the same things and getting the results that I wanted at 40. And so I decided uh, what I wanted my life to look like, and I wrote down a series of promises to myself that I was going to keep, and I dubbed that whole effort designing my decade. And within designing my decade, it had been a conversation piece in our family for a while to own our own. Um, And it took seven years through conversations for me to finally decide, you know what, let's go ahead and do it. And so I launched um, a t-shirt company at the time. It was Miss Lady. And funny enough, outside in you all's lobby, that was my launch party. Oh, is that right? It was my launch party. There was a studio here, and I released my first set of designs. We had a photo shoot with one of my friends from the Eagle, Fernando Salazar. He came and took the photos. Uh, We recorded women talking about their natural hair experience, and it happened right out there. Um, Before my second, well, actually, I was in business for a year um, before people started asking me, well, you design T-shirts. Could you design logos? Can you do this? And one thing led to another. And before my second anniversary, I changed my company name for my brand name. Uh Can't contract as Miss Lady um, (laughs) to be CML Collective. And we offer a full scale of services for graphic design and communication. Let's talk about that. What sorts of things specifically do you do at CML Collective? So we can design anything that goes on paper. So business cards, we do logos, we do messaging, branding, uh, flyers, trade show displays. We still do apparel as well. I always get that question. But we also design websites. Um, I tell clients, we're very transparent. We do not code. What we do is um, work on a platform where they can plug and play, essentially, their designs. Um, these aren't for people who need custom database work. They're just for clients who need you know, words up, pictures up, a place for people to to contact them. And I got into the communications portion of my company because I felt it was really important for, again, communities of color and underrepresented folks to be able to have access to professional communication services. I covered um, entrepreneurship on my beat when I was at the Eagle, and it just broke my heart that there are so many uh, people who have stepped out on a dream that's scary to step out on, which is entrepreneurship. But it didn't look good. 
and no one was taking them seriously. And I know that we have people in our community who are gifted, and I can say that without sounding conceited, but gifted. Your, people have natural gifts to be able to help people move further, faster, and make it look right for what they're trying to do. And it's just a calling. And so I've been really, really happy and humbled um, to be able to provide these types of services to our community. And in doing so, though, um, I've gained the attention of corporations. So that's been a funny transition. Right. <laughs> and you've now been connected to ETE. Yes. Tell us about that. I have. To tell that story, I got to talk about Jonathan for just a okay. second. He came to Wichita from Tennessee, and he noticed that there is a professional community of uh, minorities, but that they're not necessarily together. So he started Wichita Urban Professionals, and it's all about empowering Wichita's young, diverse, and talented. We got to talk, and he figured we needed a newsletter. I said, no, we need something better than a newsletter. So I started a magazine, and that magazine is Urban Magnate. And through that, um, I knew there was a lot of stuff happening in Wichita around entrepreneurship, and that led to a story idea about writing about it. One thing that I do know is that if you're not connected to the information, then you'll be late to the party. And right. I didn't want communities of color and also urban professionals to be late to what's happening in Wichita with entrepreneurship. So that led to me meeting Gary O'Borney, who was at that time the co-chair of the Entrepreneurship Task Force. It was just supposed to be an interview for a story. He ended up um, asking me to lead the committee that was looking at how do we move African Americans forward in Wichita with entrepreneurship. And I said, Gary, can I attend a meeting first? <laughs> <laughs> so um, I attended my first entrepreneurship task force meeting about three years ago, and I, that's how I got involved. How are we doing? How are we doing in supporting? You know, we talk about entrepreneurship in Wichita. Mm -hmm. It was great 20, 30, 40 years ago. We've had a long history. How are we doing now, not only with entrepreneurs we're used to seeing, but some entrepreneurs from the minority community who we're not used to seeing? Absolutely. Are we supporting them as well? I think that we are starting to get a framework in place that does support them. It starts with the will and also a conversation. I think that the Entrepreneurship Task Force has been a great addition to help Wichita understand who are the players who are helping to develop and support businesses, what we need to do to fill those gaps, and then also what we need to be what we need to do to be intentional to make sure those underrepresented communities also get to benefit from the excitement of Wichita right now. What I don't want to see is people uh, just look at entrepreneurship as something that's trendy, looking at all these pitch competitions and these accelerators and things like that as just a phase. If we're going to make true um, progress in advancing economic development in our city and in our region through entrepreneurship, we have to lay some intentional, sustainable, and systemic uh, pathways for people to move forward and grow strong businesses. So in the, th well, I've been involved with the Entrepreneurship Task Force for three years. I believe they've been going for four. But in my three years, I am very pleased to see the support that has gathered for a framework that um, I did end up helping to conceptualize, which is the CREATE campaign. Tell us about that and, and how that works. I'm so proud of, of this work. So what the CREATE campaign is, is I, I was listening, taking all of those experiences as a reporter, my own experience starting up, and I realized that there are so many resources out there, but how do you know which resources to truly go to? How do you know who to trust with your business idea? How do you know if you are in friendly territory? When we look at inclusive entrepreneurship and just look at the path to entrepreneurship and business ownership in underrepresented communities, there's some systemic and some historic challenges and barriers that have impact and mindset, let alone, let's not talk about the under-resourcing of these communities as well. We don't 
typically this is broad brush, broad brush stroke. This is not everyone's experience. But if you look at the data, holistically we have lower capital, we don't have access to collateral at the same rates, our income levels are not um, comparable to our white peers. Mm -hmm. And so there are a number of data points that just show that there needs to be, again, some intentionality. Well, I took that and then I said, well, what happens if we better articulate a pathway based on where you are in your business experience? If you just have an idea, you're a dreamer. Right. Um, if you have actually started a business, you're a doer. And if you've been in business for a long time, ready to scale, maybe ready to export, you're a definer. So we clarified some vocabulary so that then on the other side with service partners, we could look and see, you do a number of business development service, but what is most appropriate for dreamers? What's most appropriate for doers? And so on and so forth. One other very special part of the CREATE campaign is that with service providers, we have carved out a space to talk authentically about some of the challenges um, in working and differentiating services for communities of color. And there has been some very uh, hard conversations to mm -hmm. have, but at least there's a space to have it, and everyone has the same goal in mind. That is key. So on the service partner side, there's mindset shifts, as well as on the entrepreneur side, there's mindset shifts. So then the technical, the practical is, we come together in a series of events where people have this understanding, where they're able to get a good connection to either an entrepreneur who their existing services may not be able to reach, or for the entrepreneur they'll be able to reach a friendly, is what we call them, mm -hmm. someone who gets it and someone who really wants to move past um, whatever barrier that is to move us towards progress. And that has been not only special, but it has been transformative. And so we started with Create Campaign Programming three years ago. We are now in our third year. That first year, the Entrepreneurship Task Force thought we'd get about 35 entrepreneurs because we want them to come to our programming, but we also want them to go to the service partners who are already in existence, who are doing workshops and, and services. We did not get 35 entrepreneurs that first year. We got 77 black wow. entrepreneurs from Wichita. And everyone was like, how did you do this? Well, it's the relationships. It's everything I talked about before. It was authentic and it was real and it captivated people. The next year we set a goal for 100. We missed it because there was a big wedding in the community. So we had 93. <laughs> um, but this year we've been able to expand our focus in Wichita beyond just the um, African-American experience to include Hispanic and Latino. So I'm really excited about what's coming up this year. And because of the work that we're doing here, we have gained the attention of great entities like the Federal Reserve Bank of Kansas City, um, Network Kansas has been a great partner to us and wants to allow our framework or their framework to help move the CREATE campaign to statewide. And so we're working on that as we speak. Kaufman, we've been in conversation with the Kaufman Foundation. P people are really looking at this as potential change for how we reach and also how we serve in a systemic, sustainable way underrepresented communities. Sustainable is the important part. How do you keep this going year after year? Absolutely. Do you feel confident that you have the staying power to keep going? You know, um, there's two sides to that answer, capacity is real. <laughs> right. And so um, a lot of people, because I kind of played a leading role in this, they see me as um, the resource when I am a resource. So um, I realize I can't say yes to everything. Mm -hmm. I can't speak everywhere. Um, but me getting the partners involved, that helps capacity be reached. So there's one side. On the other side, though, um, we are really at, like I said, we're at a place where good change is, is being made. And so while capacity was a challenge, the sustainability of this is fantastic. Um, I had to think, 
Is it more important to have a symbol, a building, where all of this activity happens, or is it more important to have the work happen? If we were doing ju this just to have a symbol, which I believe there's value in symbols, mm -hmm. then would my time be spent trying to raise money to keep the lights on, trying wow. to raise money to keep people inside of the building? When right now, the sustainable piece of it is, if we want to do something at a makerspace, we can go talk to go create. If we want to be downtown in a business office, or if we want to be on the east side, the west side, wherever, we have access to partners who are willing to open up their venues to us so we can be about the work, not about paying bills to keep the work going. So that is a sustainable piece in this. And yes, that will always last. Feel good about the resources we have now in Wichita, better than they were five years ago, say? I think that the conversation is happening so that the resources can be more complete. There's always going to still be some work to go, some um, refining of missions, um, some better opportunities to collaborate so that we can serve entrepreneurs more aggressively and more completely. Um, but I do think the way that the Entrepreneurship Task Force and others in the space have been working to communicate better, I think that makes the resources much better than what they, they were in the past. You can only get so far um, when you're working in silos. And so that's why I say we've had resources in town for years, SCORE, SBA, the Kansas Small Business Development Center, so on and so forth. Um, they, they all exist and they do great work. And now we're able to do even better work all together, not only with the business development partners in the nonprofit sector, but also bringing in great law firms, great financial institutions, just building our roster and deepening our base. Um, even the, the big platforms of communication, uh, when our papers are carrying news about what's happening and, and getting a broader audience to to let people know what's happening in entrepreneurship, it all works together. So we're able to do what we're doing better. I want to make sure we get to this. Hashtag Wichita deserves this. Yeah. Talk about that a little yeah. bit. So I didn't go anywhere beyond me, and that's just fine. <laughs> <laughs> but um, when I think about, especially as a native, when I think about this city and where we are right now, I really and can truly say I love Wichita. There is, though, a Wichita mentality. Sometimes we feel like we don't um, need to be as big. We don't need to make as much noise. And that's why we've been a flyover. That's why we've been a, a pass-through. People will go to Kansas City and now looking at how Oklahoma City has raised up. Right. They're not just going from Dallas to KC. They're stopping in Oklahoma City. We have to change how we think about ourselves. And so I was thinking um, with, with some changes that, you know, there's some things that Wichita deserves. When we look at our airport, I believe that was such a catalyst right. to putting a visual behind this idea that we deserve more as a city. So I started thinking about things that were working, and I put a hashtag out in a rant. It was a Twitter rant, <laughs> rant night with Wichita deserves this. And um, I think even though it doesn't take off on Twitter, that's okay. The point is the mentality needs to stick that we do deserve to be a top-tier city, and we can do that with all of the resources and talent that we have in the city, all of the work that people are doing to make it better. Yes, we deserve this. And that's something we've talked about in the Emerging Leaders Program yeah. as well, is that that whole mindset of Wichita and moving beyond, oh, mm -hmm. we're just Wichita, you know, and exactly. having having a good self-esteem about the uh, about the community. You know, and I will say, again, there was a moment when I graduated from school. I went to KU thinking I'd take off and be on the East Coast somewhere, or maybe right. in Atlanta, where half of Wichita seemed to have went. <laughs> but... Um, when my husband and I were talking, especially with him being from the South, if we were going to stay here, we made a conscious decision to stay here. Um, in staying in Wichita, it seems like you have to be willing. If, if you want to really make the city better, then your stay here is about work. 
It's about working to make it better, not just enjoying what's happening. But if you really, really want to stay here and commit when you do have other options, then you get in a spirit of working to help make the community better. It is very disheartening. When I look at different pockets of the community where people feel like they don't have access to opportunity, the tangible, they might not have access to housing, transportation, those are just the tangible evidences, but the, the mindset behind that is just the opportunity. And so I think that the more that we can do for those of us who choose to stay, who really care about Wichita, is do the work to build a better city, not just for tomorrow, not just for the youth. Everyone talks about the next generation, mm -hmm. but build it for us now. And don't forget those people who feel like they don't have opportunities. Um, we talk about what responsibility do they have to this too. You can't just sit back and always complain. But at the same time, when you feel disconnected, then whose responsibility is it to reach out and to reach in? Is it easier for those people who feel disconnected to hold their hand out, to be brought up? Or is it easier, maybe better, for those of us who have a sense of duty to this city to reach in to those who are underrepresented, those who are disconnected, whatever they look like, whatever their experience is? And I believe if we're going to get um, this work lifted faster, we've got to be willing to reach out. Christina Long, we are glad you stayed in Wichita. Thank and you. And we hope you're here for a long, long time. I think so. All the best to you, and again, uh, good luck to, on CML Collective and everything else you're working on. We appreciate it. Thank you so much. Thank you. Christina is willing and able to help entrepreneurs get their start. If you want to reach her, let me know. I can make the connection. Next week, another great guest, of course. I hope you can check it out. At Equity Bank, stories of growing businesses are our favorites, so we created our own series. Visit equitybank.com napkin stories to watch the startup stories of great businesses across the Midwest. That's Biz Talk with Bill Roy for this week. For everyone at the Wichita Business Journal, thank you for listening. Thanks once again to producer Brittany Showalter and to our sponsor, Equity Bank. Have a profitable week.